has already been announced. We're, we've got um, 10 days beginning tomorrow night of prayer and fasting. And I think I shared about maybe about six weeks ago, and I shared a message that Pastor, or I shared a few thoughts from a message that Pastor Gazaway had, had spoken at the last convention. And he, he was speaking there of the key to, key to victory over a spirit of oppression. And he, he, he shared about this, you know, like a Goliath spirit, the spirit of, a, of oppression, the power of the enemy and the spirit of the enemy trying to do everything it could to, to stop us coming into the, the breakthrough that God intends us to have. And, you know, that spirit of oppression, Pastor Gazaway was mentioning, you know, mocks us, our families, our church, our fellowship, our community. And, you know, on the one hand, we do have a measure of the presence of God here, and I'm very thankful for that and thankful for the, for the worship we have and the, the prophetic flow, the measure of the prophetic flow that we have. And, um, and, I, and I'm thankful for all that the Lord is, is doing, very thankful. And God has been gracious to us as a church. God has given us many promises. But yet on the other hand, there's a there's a certain oppression, and I don't believe we have the full you know unit the the, few, the 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 full liberty of the spirit of God that God wants us to experience, and we don't have the certainly the demonstration of the the power the glory the deliverance the healing um, that 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 we need and I, and that I believe God wants to give, and. You know, Saul and, and other leaders, you know, were afraid and they could not do anything um, beyond their own ability. But this spirit of oppression, you know, it will not go away just by human effort or by willpower or by numbers, but only by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, as Pastor Gazaway shared that message at convention, you know, he said he felt strongly from the Lord <clears throat> that the way is to, to pray and to fast, to pray and fast. And he, and he, mentioned, <clears throat> he mentioned it quite a number of times, you know, during that, during that message, to, you know, to pray and to fast. And, you know, I, I really felt the Lord, um, you know, quicken that to me and, you know, for us to have a time of prayer and fasting and really pressing into God here in Mount Zion Church. And so, you know, we're, we're beginning that 10 days. Now, it doesn't mean, obviously, you know, we, all, we, we can't all fast 10 days, but we can all do something. We can all do something to fast, and it's fasting and, and praying, and we, as already mentioned, we'll be having a prayer meeting for those who are able to come, 6.30 p.m., um, each night for the next 10 nights here in the sanctuary. Um, and, you know, we had, a, we had a very nice service on New Year's, New Year's Eve, those of you who were able to come, a nice presence of, of the Lord. Um, and, you know, also the, the thought came through and the prophetic word about God doing a new thing. And, you know, a fresh, a fresh, 
fresh thing in our midst, a, a, a new wave of God's Spirit in our midst. And as we look back, you know, over this last year, I mean, it's been a, it's been a difficult year for many with the corona pandemic, not just in one country, but in the nations of the world. It's been so much political turmoil over the last year. And on top of that, there's been so many natural disasters and flooding and fires and tornadoes and so on. But praise the Lord, in the midst, in the midst of everything, God is seeking to prepare his church for a great revival. And I believe an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that none of us have ever seen before. And so in the midst of the many negative things that are happening, you know, we are not those without hope. We have a hope. We have a wonderful hope. We have a glorious hope. We have the promises of God. And the Word of God teaches, I believe, very clearly that His power and His glory will be revealed in unprecedented ways. You know, in these last days, before the Lord returns again. And as I mentioned on, on Friday night, you know, the, the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1 and 2, where it speaks about the glory of the Lord arising upon us. But it says, for the darkness, gross darkness that covers the earth. And there is darkness in the world today, much darkness and Many governments, many nations are turning away from the ways of God. They're turning away from the laws of God. They're disregarding the Ten Commandments. And so there is great darkness. Now, the promise about the glory and the scripture, glory and, and darkness, is not talking about the millennium. It's not talking about heaven. There's no, there's no darkness, you know, in eternity in heaven. But it's speaking very clearly about the last day revival, the great move of the Holy Spirit before the Lord comes again. And so this morning, as we're going, to, as we're going into a fast together, time of prayer and fasting, seeking for revival and, and crying out to God that God will move and God will, will move afresh, I want to share with you on the thought of you know, united prayer and fasting. United prayer and fasting. And so, as I mentioned before, I, I'd asked each one of you to pray and ask the Lord, you know, what exactly he wants you to do, you know, and uh, regarding the fasting and, and your involvement. And we, we don't want to just try and copy somebody else or do what somebody else is doing, but um, seek to to know what, you know, God has, is, is giving us to do. And, you know, some people have, have grace and strengths in certain areas more so than in other areas. And so we're not to compare, you know, with, with one another. But the thing is just to pray and to do what we feel we are able to do with God's help um, in, in our prayer times during the next 10 days and in our fasting. 
You know, the scriptures share about individuals who fasted and individual fasting, but it also speaks about united fasting or corporate fasting. Um, The same with prayer. I mean, Jesus speaks in the Sermon on the Mount about going into prayer, and there's a time where we go into our closet and we're alone with God, and it's the same with fasting. But then there's times where we need to have corporate prayer and gather together to prayer, to pray. And the same with fasting, where you know there is where we do something together corporately, uh, together. And when we come together, you know, in prayer, when we come together in fasting, you know, th- there is something that one encourages the other. And as we read in in Deuteronomy chapter thirty, scripture Deuteronomy thirty two and verse thirty, it says, "One person shall chase." A thousand, one thousand, but two people will put ten thousand to flight. In other words, it's not one chase a thousand, two chase two thousand. No, but it's when we're together, two will chase ten thousand, much, much more. And so the thought of much more being accomplished when we're praying and fasting together in unity and in oneness. And so, in the book of Joel, if we could turn to the book of Joel. So I, I just want to look at just a, a few, two or three examples from Scripture of where there was a coming together to pray and to fast. And in the book of Joel, um, and Joel is, you know, it speaks of restoration. And we want to see, we, we need a, a restoration we, we're praying and crying, restoration of many who have backslidden, but they will be restored. And, you know, we're praying for revival. And in the book of Joel, you know, God had, God had judged the children of Israel because of their sin and the way they turned away from, the way that they had t- turned away from God. And they'd received judgment. And... The northern kingdom was destroyed by the Assyrians in 722 BC. And, you know, judgment came upon them. And many for those ten tribes of, of Israel, they were scattered abroad. And the judgment of God came. And a lot of the land, it was desolate. But Joel, he is known as the prophet of the Holy Spirit. And we're familiar with Joel 2 and verse 28, where it speaks there, it says, It shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young young men will see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. And so that that verse from the book of Joel, it was quoted by the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost. And on the day of Pentecost, when Peter got up to preach, and he preached under a great anointing of the Holy Spirit, and he, he, he was quoting from the prophet Joel, and he was quoting about the the, the, the end time move of the Holy Spirit. And it was partially filled. It was partially fulfilled on the day of Pentecost when Peter preached. But 
the main fulfillment of that wonderful prophecy in the book of Joel, it was not fulfilled. It, was not fu- it, w- it will not be fulfilled until the last days, and it speaks of the glorious last day revival. All flesh, uh, you know, Hindu flesh, Muslim flesh, Buddhist flesh, all flesh, flesh from, you know, every nation, and, you know, a great move of the Holy Spirit. Verse 32, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance. And in the book of Joel and in verse in the same chapter and in verse 23, it speaks there, Joel speaks about the former rain and the latter rain. And those two rains were necessary in, in Israel. And the Israelites were dependent upon those rains for their crops to grow, and so they would have a good, good harvest. The former rain, which would come around about September and October, would soften up the grounds so they could plough and plant the seed. And then the, the, the latter rain, which was a much heavier rain, would come you know, around you know, March, February, March, uh, around about that time, and it would be a heavier rain, and it would bring the crops to maturity. And so um, prophetically there, it speaks the, the, former, the early rain, the former rain, speaks of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the early church that was fulfilled in the early church. But the, the latter rain, which, it speaks, which the, the, the prophet Joel speaks about in verse, chapter 2 and verse 23, that speaks about what will happen after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the last days and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in verse 28, Joel 2, verse 28, and it shall come to pass afterward, afterward. And so the question is, well, after what? Now, after chapter 1, or the first part of chapter 1, which speaks of total desolation, everything was was in chapter 1, everything was blighted. Nothing is fruitful. God's judgment had come on the land. Locusts had brought you know, an agricultural crisis, and it was God's judgment upon his people. And the reason was because of their sin, because of their idolatry. And it seemed there was no ray of hope, no human solution. So what does God tell the people to do? He calls them to unite together, and he calls them to, to fast, and he also calls them to repent. And in Joel 1 and verse 14, chapter 1 and verse 14, it says, Sanctify ye a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders and the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God, and cry unto the Lord. Now, to sanctify, it means to, to set apart, to set apart a time of fasting. So God's call to fasting, you know, according to Joel, must have absolute preeminence. Elders who are leaders have a special responsibility. But we see in Joel even all the inhabitants of the land are included. So in verse 14, it speaks about sanctifying a fast. In chapter 2, in verse 12, it is repeated again. Chapter 2 and verse 12, and it says... Therefore, 
Also now, saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning and with mourning. And in times of crisis such as this, it was like prayer alone was not enough. Prayer needed to be accompanied by fasting, weeping, mourning, and godly repentance, and a true turning away from sin, and a true turning back unto the Lord. And so then we go down to verse 15, and again it's repeated a third time. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast. That's the third time it's mentioned, just in those few verses. Call a solemn assembly. In other words, call the people together. The calling to, to fasting comes the third time, verse 15. So all the people were involved with a special emphasis, with a special emphasis upon the leaders. And back in chapter 2 and verse 28, that wonderful promise we've looked at, you know, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And afterwards, God will do it. After his people have obeyed his call, you know, to fasting and prayer and repentance. You know, so far we've, we've only seen a small fraction of the total outpouring of the, that the scriptures clearly predict. And this, the fulfillment of these last these verses in Joel 2, verse 28 to 32, is directly in front of us. This is th those verses, uh, they're in our time, they're in our day, they're in our generation. It's speaking of the last day revival before the return of the Lord Jesus. And, you know, the Lord is waiting for us to meet the requirements. So we see it very clearly. That was a united, you know, prayer and fasting in the book of Joel. And in the book of Esther, Again, a familiar, familiar passage, a, a familiar book, but it, it's, it's incredible to think, you know, what was accomplished there. And we see in the book of Esther even the deliverance, the deliverance of the, the Jewish race for, from being completely wiped out. And the greatest crisis that ever confronted the Jewish people in their entire history up to the present time, um, even, greater, even greater than under Adolf Hitler during the Second World War. And, you know, Hitler, during the Second World War, Hitler had, had one-third of the Jews at his mercy. He killed something like seven million who, who died in those gas chambers. Um, but King Ahasuerus, in the time of Esther, uh, he was going to destroy, this is because of wicked Haman, he was going to destroy the whole of the Jewish race. And of course, it was through the Jewish race through which the Messiah would, would come. And he was going to destroy the whole lot. And it was, it was it, the, the whole of the Jewish race. And of course, you know, Satan, it was directly, it was a direct plan of Satan through wicked, wicked Haman to wipe out the Jewish race through which the Messiah was, was going to come. And the, in, in Esther 3 and in, in verse 7, it speaks there about the, it's called the, the Feast of Purim, uh, which, means, which means lots. 
And the story, the story gives rise to the feast called Purim, which means, means lots. And wicked Haman, he cast, he, he cast lots to determine the day that should be appointed for the Jews to be restored. And casting lots really was a form of divination. And Haman was seeking guidance from occult powers. It, it was not just flesh versus flesh. It was spirit against spirit. And through Haman, Satan was actually challenging the powers of God himself. And then in chapter 4 of the book of Esther, we read some you know, wonderful verses there. And Mordecai, he, was the, he brought up Esther. She was an orphan girl. She was, she was nothing. She was a nobody. Parents has died, and her cousin Mordecai, Mordecai had brought, brought her up. And, and yet, by a series of incredible miracles, she became queen and the wife to the king, Ahasuerus, of the greatest empire on earth at that time, which was is, which is Persia. And when the situation comes to light, about the Jews being all killed on a certain day. Mordecai, he challenges Esther. And she was a Jewess, but she'd not revealed the fact she was a Jewess to the king. And so she, she had become queen by a miracle of the Lord. And Mordecai challenges her to present her petition before the king, for her people, that her people would not be her, her, her people will not be destroyed. And according to Persian culture, without a royal summons, even though she was the queen, she could not approach the king and unless and, and it was the death penalty unless she found favor with the king. And, but she was willing to take a tremendous risk. Her life was at stake. And without a royal summons, the penalty for approaching the king in the inner court, it was, it was the death penalty. But Esther was one who was willing to risk her life. And she says, or, or Mordecai had said to her in verse 14, chapter 4, if you altogether hold your peace at this time, in other words, if you don't, if you don't stand up for your race, then shall there enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. In other words, God will raise up somebody else to deliver them. But you and your father's house shall be destroyed. And then he says to her, but who knows whether you are come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And I believe we are all alive today for such a time as this. For such a time as this. In spite of coronavirus and everything else, I would rather be alive today than any other time in human history because the greatest revival that has ever come, that has ever been upon the earth, is before us. Who knows whether you are called to the kingdom for such a time as this? And what did Esther do? Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. Verse 16, and this is what, Mordecai, this is the message that, Mordecai, that Esther 
gave to be delivered to Mordecai. Go, gather all the Jews that are present in Shushan. That was the capital of the Roman Empire. It was in, it would, would, would be in southwest Iran today. And fast for me. And neither, so it was a, not a single fast. It was not just her fasting only. It was a united fast. She encouraged, she encouraged Mordecai to fast and she encouraged him to gather all the Jews and for all them to fast. And, and it was a, a desperation fast. Don't even, don't eat, but don't even drink. Don't even drink water, nothing. Three days, three nights. And she said, I and my maidens will fast likewise. So she was going to get the maidens who looked after her. She was going to get them to fast. She was going to fast with them. So there'd be a united fast, all fasting together. And they were going to fast three days and three nights, no food, no drink, nothing. And then Esther said she will go and approach the king and She's willing to risk a life. She said, if I die, I die. If I perish, I perish. But she was willing to lay down her life if necessary. And we know the story. The king held out the golden scepter to her, and she was saved. And, you know, we, we, we see the, the wonderful outcome of their collective prayer and fasting, which is described in the remaining chapters of the book. And we see how the Jewish race was saved from being completely wiped out through which Jesus was to come. The whole policy of the Persian Empire was completely changed in favor of the Jews. Haman and his son perished. In other words, the powers of Satan were destroyed. The enemies of the Jews throughout the Persian Empire suffered total defeat. Mordecai and Esther became the two most influential personalities in Persian politics. And also the Jews throughout the entire empire experienced favor, peace, and prosperity. And all of this, all of this happened, and, and all of this happened after God's people had united together to pray and to fast. And to me, that is incredible. To me, that is powerful. I mean, a whole nation, a whole nation was changed. Going over to the New Testament, when the birthing of world, birthing of world missions happened, in other words, a very significant event, a very significant event in the in the life of the early church. Because this is where the missionary, missionary uh, journeys of the Apostle Paul were launched. And coming to Acts 13 and verses 1 to 4. Acts 13, 1 to 4. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas, Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Manahin, <coughs> which had been brought up with Herod and the, with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Separate me, 
Barnabas and Saul for the work where I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So that was the beginning of the missionary journeys in the book of Acts. This was the beginning of the apostolic program. And it speaks in verse 1 of five men from that church at Antioch, and they were recognized prophets and teachers. And they gathered together, and they ministered to the Lord. They were worshiping the Lord together. They were praying together. But they also fasted together. And this is one of the most, you know, most crucial points in the history of the church. They did not just sit down and make up their own plan. They put aside their own plans or their own efforts. And it's like they ministered to the Lord and they waited on the Lord that, you know, God would speak and that they would be involved in doing his plan. They took time off from everything else, even including eating, and God spoke. You know, when they did that, when they fasted, when they prayed, when they worshipped the Lord, God spoke. Now, we're not, the scripture does not say exactly how God spoke. Possibly it was through a word of prophecy, but it was made absolutely clear. They knew. Separate me, Paul, Barnabas, and Saul. So, and then in, in verse 3, and when they had fasted, that's the second time they fasted. In verse 2, they fasted, and then some time went by, and then, and then, you know, God revealed who was to go. Barnabas and Saul were to go. And then verse 3, they fasted again, and when they had fasted and prayed, then they laid hands on them, and they sent them away. They sent them away. And it says in verse 4, so they being sent forth by the Holy Spirit. And the Greek word there for sent forth, there's the thought there of being sent and by and being accompanied. You know, Jesus said when he gave that great commission, go into all the world and teach all nations, make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he said, go, go. And then he said, lo, I will be with you always, even to the ends of the earth. And as they were to go on that missionary journey, as they were sent out by the Holy Spirit, they were, they were, but not just sent out, they were sent and accompanied they had their companion to lead them and to guide them, the precious paracletos, the per precious, pre precious Holy Spirit. Jesus said, go, and he said, I will be with you. In Acts 13, Barnabas and Saul, in verse 1, they were called teachers and prophets. But then after they were sent out in Acts chapter 14, it speaks of Barnabas and Saul, not as a teacher or a prophet, but it speaks of them as apostles. So as they were sent forth, they are called, they are called apostles, and an apostle is a, a sent out one, a sent out one. And then there was persecution in the churches. Uh, Paul was stoned at Lystra, Lystra. Then he went on to Derby, and at Derby, he started a church in Derby, 
and, and in the other places he went to. And we read in chapter 14 and verse 21, it tells us there, this is in the, the first missionary journey still, and it says in verse 21, and when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they taught the word of God. They didn't only preach the gospel of salvation. They preached that, and then they taught. There was teaching so that the believers could be discipled. And then they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, places that they'd been before and places where they'd been persecuted before. But they went back. There was no fear. There was great courage. In verse 22, they confirmed the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith. And and that through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. You know, if that was true in the time of the Apostle Paul, it is the same. It is true today. You know, some people promise, come to Jesus, everything will be rosy. Well, that's not what the Apostle Paul said. They came to Jesus and there was much tribulation. Now, God, the Lord was with them. The Holy Spirit was with them in that tribulation. But nevertheless, the tribulation was there. And we will go through, through tribulation, much tribulation, into the kingdom of God. 23, and when they had ordained them elders in every church, and those who were ordained elders, they were relatively new believers because it was all in the same missionary trip, and had prayed with fasting. So when they ordained those leaders, before they were just a group of believers, but when Paul left, they'd formed... A structure had formed, there'd been a, a local church formed, and there'd been elders, they, they prayed for elders. Paul had prayed, Paul and Barnabas, or Saul and Barnabas had prayed for elders. And so there's a church structure there. And it says, and prayed with fasting. They commended them to the Lord in whom they believed. So it seems clear that the disciples became a church when they had elders and the ordaining of elders took place. When they ordained them, it took place with prayer, but not only prayer, with prayer and with fasting. And I know I've said it, I, I know I've said it many times before, but I'll, I'll say it again because I've experienced a measure of revival in New Zealand in the early 70s. And God you know, moved here in a, in, in, a, in a very precious way. And I still remember, as vivid, vivid as anything, even though it was many, many, many years ago, and I was just, you know, in my 20s at the time. And, but united prayer and fasting was a key in birthing and maintaining, you know, the outpouring of the Spirit and the move of the Holy Spirit that we had in, in, in New Zealand, in Auckland, New Zealand. And, you know, the church grew from about 400 to about 2,000 in a, you know, relatively short period of time. People came to the, to the Lord from all walks of society. And one of the things I remember is every, every month they would have three days of the church would fast, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then three days. And then on the Wednesday night, they come together for a prayer meeting. And some of, the, the, some of those prayer meetings, I mean, I, I've, I've never been, in all my life, I've never been in prayer meetings like, like those prayer meetings. It was just maybe some nearly a thousand people all packed in and all just, you know, lost and crying out to God, vocally crying out to God. And, and I mean, 
And the presence of God at times was just, just electric. It was almost you could reach out and touch the Lord. So, and, and I know that part of, the, part of the, the ingredients of the move of God there was that people prayed, people fasted, and they sought God, and as a result, God came and God, God moved. And I believe God is wanting to come here in our midst, here in our midst, here in our midst. And again, you know, don't just try to do some, some copy somebody else. You do what you're comfortable with. But, I, but I've asked you before, and I'll ask again if you haven't done it, to, to just ask the Lord to make it clear what you're to do. doesn't mean you all have to fast 10 days, of course. Uh, you know, Daniel fasted for 21 days, but it was a partial fast. He was over 80 at the time, but he, he was a, it was just a, a partial fast. Maybe it was just, you know, we're not told exactly, but he, I think he, he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't eat meat. He, he wouldn't have had desserts. He would have just had soups or, you know, just vegetables or something like that. So maybe you want to do a Daniel fast, you know, especially those who are on medication. Um, that's a good idea. They can maybe you can cut out, cut out certain things and have soup or vegetables or, or whatever. Um, you know, maybe maybe some will feel they're able to miss one meal each day and fast one meal each day. Maybe others can miss maybe two meals a day. Two men just have one meal a day. Maybe others you might fast one day and then eat the next, fast the next, or you know. And if you are planning to, to fast the whole time, just a word of warning, don't have a great big meal before you start and don't have a great big meal before when you finish. Break it. I mean, you've got to break it gradually, break, break it slowly. And, uh, but just ask the Lord, do what is comfortable for you. And, and for our times of prayer, even if you're, not, if you're able to, to make it on the Monday, on the, each night, that'd be fantastic. If not, maybe you are able to pray at your home where you are and, and join us in prayer from your home or wherever you are. But let's try to, to use those times instead of, instead of eating our meal when we're fasting, we use that time to pray and press into God uh, instead, to pray, wait on the Lord, soak yourself in the Word of God. And, uh, you know, and, and just seven things that... that we, I felt it would be good if we focus on, now we're praying particularly for the church, particularly for a revival in the church, but also um, a few other things. We put the uh, PowerPoint up. So we're praying that God will you know, break this spirit of oppression, the, the powers of darkness, and pray for ourselves. Pray for yourself. Pray, you know, personally, pray that during this time you would meet the Lord afresh. And, you know, as I shared at communion, you know, examine yourself. You know, just pray that God will cleanse you afresh. Maybe God will lead you in fresh repentance and spotlight things in your heart. You know, some people think, well, you know, I, I, there's no wicked ways in my life or anything, but... When the spotlight of the Lord comes on, if this light, you know, if that, if that, if that light is dim above me, I can't see any, any dirt down the floor. 
But if that light there, if it, if it, if it gets, becomes brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter, then I look down on the floor and I see the dirt and I see the dust. And so when the light of God comes in our hearts, you know, sometimes things that we, we haven't even realized, God will bring to the surface. So pray for yourself. Pray personally. And pray, you know, maybe, maybe certain individuals you've been, you've been praying for. Pray at work or at home or in family that, that God will God will give breakthrough. God will come through. God will save them or God will restore them or God will give breakthrough in their lives. And, you know, there's some people who are going through tremendous, tremendous tests, tremendous difficulties. And, you know, pray for yourself, but pray for other individuals. And pray, secondly, for family. Family. Uh, there's, such a, there's an attack of Satan against the family today. And if, Sa if Satan can destroy the family, he's gonna. I mean, the family is just a. The church is just a group of families. So, and, and some families are going through great, great tribulation, great difficulties, great difficulty. The enemy is just seeking to split them apart. And we need to pray and cry out to God, you know, for families, maybe families within the church, maybe families outside the church, whatever. But. But, but pray, pray, pray for families. And then, of course, for our church, Mount Zion Church. You know, pray. Pray for, you know, pray for the pastors. Pray for the, you know, we, the, the wisdom of God. There will be well, right decisions will be made, be led by the Holy Spirit. Pray for the, the leadership here. Pray for the, the, the members of the board. Pray for the different ministries here, for the, you know, the Sunday school the youth, the worship team, the outreach ministry. Pray that, you know, God will God'll, God'll come in new ways. God will do a new thing in all of these areas. God will launch, you know, other ministries. God will open up, you know, other, other, other ministries, even from the church, reaching out more into the community. Then we can also pray. Pray for Zion Fellowship. You know, we're part of Zion Fellowship. Pray for Pastor Tucker, Sister Angeline, the president of the fellowship. Pray that God will give them wisdom from above. The anointing will be upon them. Pray for ZMI, which has just started up. Um, just had one semester. Pray that God will bring in new students, that that will grow, and God will move in ZMI. Pray for Zion Academy. You know, it would be wonderful to have a move of the Spirit in the school here. Pray for the other Zion churches in, you know, different, different, the other Zion churches, you know, in America, two in Canada as well. And, you know, another area to pray for the area of missions. You know, most Sunday mornings we've been showing a missionary and missionary family, you know, pray for them, the challenges, the difficulties that they face, that they would see God's hand, God's anointing increase upon them. Pray for you know, the, 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 the missionaries, you know, over, overseas. Pray for maybe God will lay a certain nation on your heart to pray for and intercede for. And then number then the sixth thing is to pray for the valley. God's placed us here in this valley. This valley is full of drugs. It's full of alcohol. It's full of broken homes, terrible needs, crisis needs. Most kids being brought up with just a single parent, I mean, Pray that God will come. 
God will move by his spirit. God will pour out his spirit. Pray for other churches in the valleys, for businesses in the valley, you know, for the youth, for the schools, for revival to break out. And then pray, of course, for our nation. We need America, desperately need revival. And pray that God will move in government in this land. Scripture you all know so well, 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called after my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then God says, I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for a new year. Lord, we thank you for a new hope we have. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your promises. Lord, we believe that you will move afresh by your spirit. Lord, that you will do a new thing, that you would prepare us for revival. Lord, that you would lead us and guide us. Lord, we know as even Joshua, as was told to Joshua, you've not been this way before. And Lord, we pray, Lord, for the leading of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray for our church. We cry out to you, oh God, for revival, for the outpouring of your Spirit, for healing streams, for your power and your glory to be manifest, for you to dwell in our midst. And Lord, at the beginning of this new year, Lord, right at the very beginning of this new year, Lord, may we be sanctified, may we be set apart to seek your face, to pray, to fast, to cry out to you that you would move in our personal lives, in our families, in our church, in our fellowship, among the missionaries, in our valley, and Lord Jesus, in our nation. Oh God, Lord, just give us the grace. Lord, we can't do it of ourselves. Lord, you know how difficult it is to pray at times. You know, even Peter and James and John, they fell asleep. But Lord, we pray, help us. Pour in the grace. Give us the grace, Lord, to do our part and to seek you and to pray and to fast and to repent. And Lord Jesus, Lord, we look to you that we will not just hear about revival, but Lord, we will be those who experience revival. 
Lord, we ask these things in your precious name. Amen.